0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Good evening and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight...
1: Well, I think this was always going to be a time-consuming process. I think we can't forget that Chad has a very, very long history of violent politics where the only opportunity to express political opposition
0: was through the gun. That's Cameron Hudson, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Africa Center on Chad's military government postponing landmark national dialogue with opposition forces and rebels. Details coming up... Also, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres meets a Nigerian leader today at the end of a two-day visit to Nigeria and a three-nation trip to Africa. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. But first, our top story, corruption, Hampers economic development in many African countries. And this week, officials from the African nations and the Commonwealth have gathered in Rwanda to find ways to fight the endemic problem. Participants are looking at ways to eradicate a vice that deprives African citizens of vital resources. Eugene Wemana has more from Rwanda's capital, Kigali.
2: The non nonprofit research group, the Africa Growth Initiative, estimates that between 1980 and 2018 Africa received nearly two trillion US dollars in foreign direct investment and official development assistance. but the continent lost more than one trillion to elicit financial outflows that could have helped lift 1.4 billion Africans out of poverty. Edward Y Rwandan Prime Minister said the losses hurt Africans. This has uh, severe effects on the lives of our people. This cost is very high, and it continues to weaken resilience of our communities. Corruption creates economic distortions and hampers investment. Investors who have who deserve a fair and a competitive business environment will avoid investing in countries where there is a high level of corruption. Njirente made the comments Tuesday at the 12th Regional Conference of Heads of Anti-Corruption Agencies in Commonwealth Africa. The conference in Njigari runs until Saturday. Patricia Scotland, Secretary-General of the Commonwealth, stressed it is only by working together that regional corruption can be beaten. In her opening remarks, she said, since some countries may not have the infrastructure to fight corruption, there should be a regional framework to help bridge the gaps. We have to have a whole commonwealth approach and it can be working together learning from each other and collectively setting the highest possible standards and this essential ambition will be part of the agenda for the forthcoming Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting here in Kigali next month. Good Governance Organization Transparency International estimates that in the healthcare sector alone, corruption cost Africa 500 billion US dollars every year. Over the four-day meeting, government officials involved in fighting graft will consider proposals on fostering the political will to fight corruption, using technology to deliver government services and to strengthen procurement and recruiting systems, the Commonwealth has 19 African member states, and the Secretariat says fighting corruption will be one of the important topics of the Commonwealth Heads of State and Government meeting in June here in Jigali. Eugene Uimana for VOA News, Jigali.
0: South Africans are wondering what action. President Silir Ramaphosa intends to take after a commission of inquiry found that many ruling African National Congress leaders have been involved in corruption. The State Capture Commission estimates about one trillion rands or $100 billion was stolen from state-owned enterprises during the last four years of Jacob Zuma's presidency
3: between 2014 and 2018. Darren Taylor has more. Commission Chair Chief Justice Raymond Zondo says the ANC should be ashamed for allowing many of South Africa's key institutions, including its national electricity provider, ESCOM, to be destroyed by looting and mismanagement. In the fourth installment of its report, the Commission finds that ANC Stalwart and former Public Enterprises Minister Lynn Brown helped Zuma and three Indian brothers, A.J., Atul, and Tony Gupta, to plunder Eskom. Brown absolved herself when she testified in March last year. The board actually runs the company. I am the shell representative of the company. But Sondo branded Brown a liar. She also denied knowing Gupta advisor Salim Essa when cell phone records showed eight calls between them before she made appointments to ESCOM's board of directors. Independent political analyst Dr. Dale McKinley says the evidence against Brown and other top ANC officials is damning, but that it's likely that party leadership will initially give other targets to prosecutors.
4: What I would suspect is going to happen is that they'll first go for the low-hanging fruit so to speak in other words the potentially easy cases the ones that don't have a great deal of political capital to pay that are not going to come back and bite them so the district officials some of the low-lying sort of provincial officials let's say for example in the
3: but mckinley agrees ramaphosa will have to act against some big anc figures implicated in state capture if he is to save the party before the next elections in 2024. He doubts, though, that the ANC leader will make the move before the party's next elective conference in December.
4: After that politically it would be more palatable, possibly assuming that Ramaphosa wins and his slate still has control of the ANC and he's still president, then he'll be in a much stronger position, the to then go after some of the the higher-profile cases. But I think it's going to be a long, long time before we see any really senior ANC politicians end up behind bars, if at all.
3: Throughout commission proceedings, the ANC insisted only a few of its officials were corrupt and that the majority were dedicated to public service. McKinley says Zondo's latest report shows this simply isn't true.
4: This is not about individuals. This is not about a few bad apples in the ANC doing a few bad things. This is about an entire political party that is implicated in state capture, including those that have yet to be charged or those that are sort of hiding in the corner.
3: He refers to a comment made by another party official and corruption accused, Baleka Mbete, when she was testifying that all ANC politicians have small skeletons in the cupboard.
4: This is really where the crux of the matter lies, is that President Ramaphosa and many of the others on the one side and ex-President Zuma and the Guptas and the others on the other side in these factional battles have a lot of dirt on each other and they probably have a lot of things that they can throw at each other and so they're going to be very, very careful and what we've seen is that the ANC prizes above all else position and power. They don't really prize accountability, that's very clear.
3: For McKinley and many South Africans, the so-called battle for the soul of the ANC is not between good and evil. It's a war to decide if a lesser evil plots the fate of the country going forward. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
0: UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres met with the Nigerian leaders today at the end of a two-day visit to Nigeria and three-nation trip to Africa. Yesterday he visited internally displaced people, IDPs, in northeast Nigeria and called for them to be safely returned to their homes. Nigerian authorities plan to close all IDP camps in the next few years despite security concerns. Those concerns were emphasized as Islamic extremist rebels killed at least seven people in an attack in northeast Borno State in Nigeria at the same time that Guterres was in the state to meet with the survivors of jihadi violence. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm your host, Iheyes Wuhib. German Defense Minister Christine Lambrecht says her country will end its participation in the European Union training mission in Mali, but will remain in the UN peacekeeping mission there. Earlier this year, France and allies fighting Islamist militants in Mali said they would pull out troops after almost a decade The exit raises questions about the future of the 14,000-strong UN and EU peacekeeping mission in Mali. Germany's decision comes a month after Human Rights Watch accused Malian troops and suspected Russian fighters of executing around 300 civilians in a central Mali town and more than two months into Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The West African country's army has denied the Human Rights Watch allegations. Mali and Russia have previously said the Russians in the country are trainers, helping Local troops with equipment brought from Russia. Despite Ethiopia's declared humanitarian ceasefire with Tigrayan rebels, aid groups say they are struggling to get food and medicine to those in need. Even outside the worst affected areas in Tigray, which are off-limits to reporters, providing aid is fraught with risks and challenges. Henry Wilkins reports from Desai, Ethiopia.
5: In Ethiopia's northern Amhara region, burned tanks and other ruined military equipment lie at the roadside. It's been four months since occupying forces of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or TPLF, left the area. As the region recovers from a brutal civil war, the UN says some 9.4 million people in the Amhara region and neighbouring Afar and Tigray regions need humanitarian assistance. But aid has been slow to arrive. 17-year-old Ahmed Nuru was living in the Aromia region, but he says he had to flee after facing persecution for his Amhara ethnicity. He lost his mother when he was young. Last year, his father died after being unable to get life-saving treatment due to the war's impact on the local health care system. Now he is left to take care of his two sisters, 10 and eight. He says he has no idea what the future will look like and that life is really very difficult. He says he doesn't know how he's going to meet the responsibility of raising his sisters. Daniel Tagabu is a public health officer based in the camp for the displaced where Ahmed lives. He says there's not enough medical equipment or medicine. The centre is running out of basic medical kits. There's a shortage of malaria kits, hepatitis kits, HIV testing kits as well, he adds. There are tens of thousands living in camps for the displaced in the Amhara region. Others live in host communities like Tizgenet Tababu, who lost her husband during the conflict with the TPLF she says she and her son rely on what her husband's friends provide on a charitable basis which includes giving her a room to stay in i have nothing i'm a housewife i'm just waiting for any support anything to raise my two children i feel i should pay a monthly house rent even though the owners give me charity since i lost my husband how can i plan for the future when i have nothing she says as tears begin to flow Mulegeta Kbede, an aid worker who spoke with VOA and works in the hike camp, says stories like Ahmed's and Tegesnet's are not uncommon across Amhara. The current situation makes us cry day and night, he says. He goes on to explain that if someone is hungry, they can't sleep. They're always thinking about their empty stomach. He adds that he's seen displaced people forced to sell pans or mattresses to survive and that the situation is at a critical stage. About 30,000 people displaced by conflict live just north of Hike in Weldia. A local government representative, Habtamariam Assefa, North Wallow's zone spokesperson, explains why aid is taking so long to arrive. There was a little bit of support at the beginning upon TPLF leaving after the area was a conflict zone for months, he says. Aid has been distributed only twice since then. The aid provided either by the UN or the federal government is not enough, he told VOA. North of the Amhara region in Tigray, where journalists are banned from entering, the UN says the situation is worse with famine-like conditions. Tigray is under a de facto humanitarian blockade, according to the UN. For now, all Ahmed and his sisters can do is try to scrape by and hope more assistance arrives soon. Henry Wilkins, VOA News, Hike, Ethiopia. The African
0: Union and the United States have condemned an attack by Al-Shabaab militants on an AU base in Somalia that militants say killed 173 troops. Ahmed Mohammed reports from the Somali capital Mogadishu.
6: In separate statements, the U.S. embassy in Mogadishu and the African Union condemned the attack on the soldiers serving under the African Union transition mission in Somalia, known as ATMIS. The embassy said it was in solidarity with the AU and Somali forces in their quest for stability in Somalia. Earlier, AU Commission Chairman Mausa Mohammed offered his condolences to the families of the fallen soldiers and reaffirmed that AU's commitment to achieving peace and instability in the Horn of Africa country. The militant group Al-Shabaab claimed through its media affiliate that more than 170 soldiers were killed in the Tuesday morning attack, which targeted an Atmi's base in Elbara village in Somalia's Middle Shabelle region. About 250 soldiers from Burundi were on the base at that time. The Burundian government says 10 of its AU soldiers were killed, with 25 others were wounded, and that 20 terrorists were neutralized. Atmi's headquarters... Has not issued an official casualty figures. However, in an interview with French news agency, a high-ranking Burundian military officer said 30 soldiers were killed in the attack and 22 others wounded. Al-Shabaab has carried out a wave of deadly attacks during Somalia's nine-month-long electoral period. Somalia's parliament met on Wednesday and selected a 17-member committee to organize the presidential election. The President will be chosen by the Parliament on a date set by the Committee. Ahmed Mohamed for VON News, Mogadishu, Somalia.
0: Chad's military government says it is postponing landmark national dialogue with opposition forces and rebels, originally scheduled on May 10th as preparatory negotiations between the two sides drag on in Qatar. The government and more than 40 opposition groups have sent delegations to Doha for the preliminary talks, but they have yet to meet face-to-face as the Qatari mediators seek to establish enough common ground for full talks to begin. Cameron Hudson, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Africa Centre, discussed these developments with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shinawi.
1: Well, I think this was always going to be a time-consuming process. I think we can't forget that Chad has a very, very long history of violent politics, where the only opportunity to express political opposition was through the gun. And so that's a long legacy to have to get over. And it's going to take, I think, considerable amount of time and trust building to get to a point where the core issues within Chad are around political representation and identity, power and wealth sharing. Can be addressed in a substantive way. And so, this first step, this effort to bring armed opposition groups under the tent to engage in conversation, is really essential. And if you don't get that right, then whatever comes after it probably won't work either. And so, I think they have to take the time necessary at this point to try to bring those armed actors in to a political process and to really create, for the first time in Chad, a a civilian political process where armed Armed actors are not shown priority
0: simply because they're armed actors. Opposition groups in Chad are demanding that Mohamed Idris Debi Etno, who seized control of the country after his father was killed last year, rule himself out of the promised election this year. And also, they want safety guarantees to allow opposition leaders who are mostly in exile in neighboring Libya and Sudan, as well as in Europe, to return to Chad. Is that feasible? The
1: conference, the national dialogue that has been called, has been called a sovereign national conference by the government, which is to say that the resulting consensus that emerges, the government will be bound by whatever that consensus is. And so the argument that the government has made is if the participants in that national dialogue believe that those current office holders or members of the transitional military government should not be allowed to stand for elections at the end of that process, then the government is saying then it will not stand for those elections. Now, I think there are other parts of the opposition that are concerned that the government could well try to stack this national dialogue so that a consensus emerges that allows them to, to run for election. I think it's probably premature to figure out exactly the answer to this question. And it goes back to my earlier point about building trust among the parties. Clearly that the military government has to take steps right now to demonstrate their goodwill. It is not sufficient that they engage in these talks. I think they're going to have to take steps to demonstrate that they are in fact willing and able to listen to the will of the people and act accordingly
0: France is supporting a national dialogue and shed as soon as possible to reach reconciliation How would such support contribute to a solution when opposition groups have accused Debbie's administration of deliberately dragging out the Doha
1: talks? I happen to think that the the Debbie administration doesn't have a good roadmap for how to engage in this political process. And so I think it is going to take outside support. The Qataris are beginning to lend some of that outside support, although I think it's fair to say that they have a mixed record of success in supporting these kinds of dialogues. Um, And of course, the French have a very problematic track record in Chad and I think would not be viewed as a neutral party. We can't forget that France on many occasions came to the rescue and to the aid of Chad's government and the former military ruler Idris Deby to prop up that regime. It's already done quite a bit to support and prop up this current military government. So I don't think that civilian leaders would view the role of France as particularly neutral or supportive of seeing a democratic transition. France, I think, is calling for a speedy process now because it wants to avoid a power vacuum in the country that it relies on for providing security across the Sahel region. So I do think that this process, though, does need outside support. I've argued that the United States has a role to play in pushing the parties towards a more democratic outcome. But all of this is going to take time. As I said, Chad has a very
0: long history of militarized politics that's going to have to be overcome. That was Cameron Hudson, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Africa Center, speaking with my colleague Mohamed El-Shinaoui.
2: the basketball africa league is back voice of america joins forces with africa's premier men's basketball league to bring you the second season of the bal it is game on march 5th 2022 38 games 12 teams leaving it all on the court in senegal egypt and rwanda to determine the 2022 season champion Tune in to VOA 24-7, FMs, and to our radio and TV affiliates for some action. Pre-game, play-by-play, post-game, daily highlights, delivered by our finest commentators. Basketball Africa League 2022 on Voice of America. May the best team
6: win.
0: And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilya Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.
2: VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to succoose, afrobeat to Dumbolo, and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all, and it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905.